My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When we think of our life with the Messiah, what, what comes to mind? Well, we should recognize that he is, he is our life. Without him, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have the foretaste of, of the blessings. We have fellowship. We have just the joy, the, a heart that loves the scripture. All because of Messiah? What's that? All because of Messiah? All because of Messiah. Yeshua, Messiah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, yo. It is a Wednesday, May 8th, 2019. This is Messiah Matters number 263. Realizing it is obviously allergy season. My name is Caleb Hegg. Grateful to be back home from our very first Messiah Matters on the Road tour. Having uh, met a lot of new people, a lot of new friends. I'm Rob Vanoff. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, man? Are we doing another one of those ever? I don't know. It was an interesting time, eh? I yeah. thought it was great. I thought it was great, too. But don't get me wrong, you know, and we've been invited. I didn't realize how tired I was. You know what I mean? I was so jazzed just by on the energy and encouragement and just being, you know, around people who are excited to be together and are excited about the things of God, you know, got home and I was just like, uh, and I know you got home, hit the ground running because your wife's like, Caleb, when you're, when you get home, you're on, I need you on. It was ridiculous, dude. I had a little bit of nap time, recovery time on Sunday. It was absolutely ridiculous. I had no nap time at all. <laughs> I suppose we should give our, our uh, yeah. And Paul in the in the chat room says we got to do Ontario. We're talking about it. You see, here's the thing about Ontario, and uh, I think I think no matter what, Ontario would have to be a different beast. And the reason why is because we we went to Oklahoma three different places within a day. Unless there was more than one place to visit up there. If we're in a car, okay, we're, we're brainstorming on, on our show. That's right fine, now. though. But, I mean, here's the thing. Wait, hang on just a second. Let me finish my thought. So within 24 hours, you have three different places. Each place is a speaking engagement essentially of, let's pretend, two hours, you know, give or take, you know, with maybe some music and stuff like that. In Ontario, it wouldn't be that way at all. We would fly in, we would drive there, we'd be there for a whole weekend. Basically, it'd be a conference. And that's not, it's not the same. Because in a conference, what people are looking for, they're not looking for dual teaching. They're not looking for like a conversation teaching. And I don't even know how we do that for that long. What they're looking for is lectures. So what we would have to do is we'd have to go there, we could probably play some music, and then we'd have to do like lecturing. So you'd take an hour, I'd take an hour, you know, two hours or whatever, well, that's, that's that's doable. Yeah, but you're right. It's it's then it's changed. It's morphed from. That's no longer the. That's no longer yeah. what the what the tour was this time. That's that's a conference. So this is just, these are just ideas. We're just throwing ideas out here. Right. So I, I su suppose we should give a, a quick rundown, or not so quick rundown of the adventures of Oklahoma. First of all. Oklahoma, that's huge. Like, 
I was, I remember when I was like, okay, going to Oklahoma city and I'd look on a map and I'm like, okay, so, you know, all this stuff's fairly close together. Well, cause it's just like these little straight lines, you know, the roads, man, those are like, you're, you're driving for miles and miles and miles just on a road. That's just like, and it's like all straight. flat. That's and, and then you take a left and then you're like miles and miles and to... miles and miles straight. I was, that was a shock to me. Uh, I wasn't ready for that. So all y'all Oklahomans that are used to that, um, good on you. You know, I don't know how to say, I get the, I get emails from, it's either Charles or Charles. I don't know if it's a hard CH anyway, all the time. He says, when are you guys doing a trip to South Africa? We need some proper speakers here. Hey, man, let's set it up. Send me an email. I will come to South Africa. I would love it. Actually, I felt a calling to to South Africa recently. I got friends there. Be good to go over and and uh, and meet some people. Anyway, send me an email. Hard ch Charl. Okay. Um. Yeah. So, uh, you know, when I think of Oklahoma now, I think of flat Earth. Not because that? not oh, because oh, oh. I, not because I met a bunch of flat earthers. It's just yeah, totally. I can, I can imagine Maybe that like the, the flat Earth movement started in Oklahoma because people are like, "Well, look around you. This thing isn't <laughs> curved at all." <laughs> oh, um, man, that's funny. Uh, yeah, no, but it, uh, it was an interesting time. So uh, you want to go first? I suppose I should go first, so, so people will know why I'm missing in over half of your story. Oh yeah, that's funny. That's a, that's right. Okay, so we, uh, we were flying. Well, there out was of- it. Thursday or Friday was our travel day. Both Caleb and I, of course, we're about three hundred miles apart, so we're setting out from different airports, and it's a a thunderstorm day, right, in Oklahoma City. And so my plane, I, I first go to Salt Lake, then I get on a little puddle jumper, well, I call it that, and so we're like, and all of a sudden, boom. There's like lightning <laughs> strikes like right next to the plane. It freaks everybody on the plane out. And I'm like, okay, the engines are still running. We're good. You know, thank you, Lord. So and, he, yeah, uh, Rob was... But little Rob, did I know that Caleb's plane, due to the same storm, which was getting, which was growing worse, I think, because he was about an hour behind me, gets diverted to... I, I, I think I was supposed to, I think I was supposed to fly in an hour and 20 minutes after you or an hour. Maybe it was exactly an hour. But then we sat on the runway for a good half an hour, 45 minutes. This was, an, uh, I knew that this was an omen. Um, and so we're already late, but whatever. So we fly out and about 45 minutes before we're going to land, the pilot comes on and says, says we're being, re- there's horrible thunderstorms in, in Oklahoma. We're being diverted to Amarillo, Texas. Now, as soon as this happens, I thought, okay, actually I prayed. I was like, all right, Lord, are you really going to ground 50 people for me to talk to one person? In other words, I have to be going to Amarillo, Texas for a reason. So you're going to make all these other people land in Amarillo, Texas, just so I can give the gospel to one person? Well, apparently the answer was yes, because we grounded in Amarillo, Texas. Now, this I didn't know when we were landing in Amarillo, Texas. Alaska Airlines, which is what we took, did not fly into or out of Amarillo, Texas. So when we get on the ground, they have a dilemma. 
Do they keep us on the plane and possibly take off again and go back to Oklahoma City? Or do they deplane us, at which point we are now stuck in Amarillo, Texas? The answer was, after we sat on the plane for a good half an hour, 45 minutes, they got us off the plane. Um, So they were talking about getting us a bus to Oklahoma, which would have taken four and a half hours. But lo and behold, they couldn't find a bus. And I'm at this point, I'm looking around for the person that I'm supposed to give the gospel to. I, you know, I'm scanning the airport, <laughs> the small airport of Amarillo, Texas, wondering, Lord, who who am I here to talk to? Well, I can't find them. So now I'm wondering what in the world's going on. So after about an hour and a half, two hours in the Amarillo, Texas airport, they come back and they, they say, here's the options that you have. This is from the high ups. You can tell that they got a they got a crack team of monkeys working over here at, at Alaska. Here's their options for us. We can either figure our own way out to Oklahoma City, no expenses paid by Alaska Airlines, or we can get back onto the plane and fly back to SeaTac and wait until the next day to get a flight out. So I thought, well, all of the rental cars are already gone because I'd called and asked. There was no rental cars left that were going one way. No buses. And I'm four and a half hours away from Oklahoma City. So I decided, okay, I got to get back onto this plane. I did not realize this. I was the only person out of the entire flight that decided to catch the plane back to SeaTac. So I get back on the uh, the plane, and I start talking to Kathy, the flight attendant. Now, I'm sitting first class. The only other people on the plane besides the flight attendants are two pilots who were catching a ride back. And uh, Kathy and I sat and chatted for a very long time. We talked about prayer and... Uh, she was a believer, but we talked about prayer. She told me that I encouraged her to uh, to strengthen her prayer life and expand her prayer life. And I was reading a book by R.C. Sproul, The Holiness of God, which you can get for free, by the way, at uh, Ligonier Ministries. And a year ago, I had given it to someone at our Passover Seder. So I'd given it to this person not expecting it back. I, it wasn't like a, you know, I got it for free. I'd never read it, but I realized this it would encourage this person. So I gave it to them. Well, they brought it back to me this Passover, which I wasn't expecting. So now this book that I thought was gone is now back in my hands. So I'm sitting here looking at this book, and I've read about half of it at this point, and I think, you know what? This book is so good. I know Sprawl is going to end it fantastically. I'm going to give this to Kathy as well. So, and I, you know, this is... Now I'm realizing this is the reason that I'm grounded in Amarillo, Texas, and the reason that I'm getting a flight back is so that I can encourage this believer in the Lord to have a better prayer life and give her this book by R.C. Sproul, which I'm hoping will encourage her. So at the end, I you know I gave her my email address, I put I gave her the book, and I said you know I think the Lord put me on this flight to give you this book. So that was an encouragement, and uh, everything was good. Lo and behold, uh, and I'm pretty sure I know who did this, but uh, lo and behold, I got a package yesterday in that same book because I had told that story. Somebody asked if I had finished the whole book, so 
Uh, I'm pretty sure that they bought the book for me and sent it to me. So now I have the same book again. <laughs> it's like the penny that keeps showing up. It's not a bad penny, though. It's the good penny that keeps showing up. Um, anyway, all of that to say, then I was given a hotel by Alaska Airlines in Seattle. Back. And didn't get, and, and I got about three hours of sleep, Got had to wake up again at four o'clock in the morning, got back onto an airplane, flew back down to Oklahoma. And then it was a whirlwind from there. I went to the small congregation that uh, that uh, Rob was speaking at that morning. And by this time, I'd missed most of everything. And then we went to another group and spoke, uh, Rob and I both spoke that night. And then I got about two hours of sleep, came back to SeaTac. And then my wife had a baby shower barbecue for families that was going on. So I had to, you know, I was up and running as soon as I got back. So I was, I'm still tired. I'm still tired. But uh, I thought, I thought it went really well. I thought the talk went really well on, on uh, Saturday night. And for our, for our supporters, if you go to the uh, Messiah Matters More page, you can see uh, our, our lecture. On Messiah Matters More, you can see our lecture um, that we did on, well, it wasn't really a lecture. Our talk that we did. Talk, yeah. Um, yeah. Just talk. Okay, so I've talked for a long time. Now, now put in your two cents. That was great. So I had that advantage of Erev Shabbat with, uh, don't remember the name of the Messianic community. It's a, a smaller group. They meet at a church with a real nice facility. And uh, the pastor there was amazing and his wife. He ran sound, um, and we had a kind of an impromptu. I had to kind of be on the—I was on the fly because Caleb, of course, wasn't there. So there was some uh, musicians there that played some songs, and then I spoke for, I don't know, 45 minutes maybe. Then we—oh, first we had a nice big meal. That, that was one thing that I really enjoyed, all the different food. Um, Plus our friends from Amarillo who drove over. That was real special. By the um, time I got into Amarillo, Texas, they were already in Oklahoma. Yeah, they were already halfway or, or so. And um, yeah, and then I shared some music that I'd written. I had a guitar. that uh, There were two guitars local that were loaned locally that was nice. So I played both of those. Um, and then... Um, had uh javier was a percussionist that was there and he joined me uh for some jam uh that was all uh Arab shabbat that was nice so yeah but yeah that's that's it's kind of like big i mean it reminds me of texas except it's not i mean it's just north of texas but it's just that flat everything's mostly well, bigger in oklahoma <laughs> mostly bigger mostly texas bigger. is bigger in, in texas is bigger <laughs> Um, on great Sat hospitality. Yeah. On Saturday night, nice people. We spoke about community, the need for community and how it's impossible to keep Torah without community. So I think, I don't think it was really that controversial of an issue where we gave that yeah, talk that because it was at a community. <laughs> However, yeah, I, I, I think that the people who hear it, who are not currently in community will find it to be. I don't know, something. 
So anyway, that was our uh, that was our time in Oklahoma, and uh, I had a great time, even though I was only there for about ten hours. And uh, yeah, it was. I th I think it was it was good. I'm not sure. In, probably in a week or two, we will uh, open that video up for for everyone. Uh, PJ does ask a question. It's a good question, one that I have often wondered, uh, and we'll look at it. Why do most messianics? Call Omer number one the feast of first few first fruits. Isn't Yom Hakikarim uh, Pentecost and not Omer one? Yes, that's true. Right. And why they do that? Um, it's the two words. There's the Reshit, and then there's uh, the Bikurim. And for some reason, in some English translations, they're both translated the same. So I think we talked about that on a show before. We have but. talked about that on a, on a show before. I don't refer to the first Omer as first fruits. However, I am con I am becoming more and more convinced that um, the first century counting the Omer after the basically starting counting the Omer on Nisan 16 is correct. And I think we see it in the Gospels. Well, sure, it's correct. Well, no, 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 I know, but but the the idea that it's after the weekly Shabbat instead, or the last Shabbat in the in the uh, Passover, mm -hmm. I think the reason that we because John calls Nisan sixteen uh, a great Sabbath, and the only reason it would be a great Sabbath is if it was Omer one as well as the weekly Shabbat. For for the for the Gospels, for all four Gospels to line up with the Passion chronology. Which I've done extensive work on now. Um, the only way for it to line up is if Saturday is also Nissan sixteen, and they call it the great shot, the great Sabbath because there's more offerings. Yeah. So anyway, for all the people who uh, who are counting differently, sorry. I think I think it's in there. Okay. Well, let's go to it. That was our time in Oklahoma. Um, and now we have, you know, we haven't really, I'll be completely honest with you, we haven't really prepared a whole bunch for this show, so it might be a little bit shorter, which is fine. Um, and we're going to talk about something that we've talked about before, which is rabbinic authority. Um, and, well, I suppose we probably shouldn't name names, but there are some people in the uh, Torah movement who have suggested that we should go back under rabbinic authority. And this varies according to what you would, according to different Torah observant believers. Um, you have some who say, oh, all rabbinic authority is valid as long as it's the majority. There are people who teach that. Um, it's interesting, though. Well, OK. Um, and then uh, there are others who say, no, that's not that's not really true. What we want to look at is just the Mishnah and the Talmud. And then there are other people who would say, well, the Talmud's kind of hit or miss, but the mission is really what we need to be following. Um, and so, yeah, the, the question is, is this a biblical concept? We've talked about this at length before, and we mm -hmm. have named names before, but we won't today. Okay, go for it, Rob. And I think, you, and I think someone pick asked, up the torch. I think someone asked me about this in Oklahoma, but I can't remember who, and so I, I, I might be conflating and a different conversation, but I think it was someone in Oklahoma asked about the rabbinic authority idea. Um, you know, one of the things that it, it, 
got me thinking about is just the title. You know, Yeshua says in Matthew 23, don't, don't be called rabbi. And he's talking to his followers. And, um, but there are things that are described, uh, offices that are described in the apostolic writings that function to serve and edify and guard and protect Yeshua's flock. So shepherd is one of them, like a pastor, um, a teacher is another one, evangelist, right? right. So the title, or even for the apostles, the apostle, the, the title that of the office tells, tells what their actions are. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just a description of their behavior. The title rabbi doesn't do that. <laughs> the title rabbi is just what it says is a person in authority, right? It doesn't, it has no reference to like, well, I think in the Orthodox world, it, it, it has a reference to a certain level of competency in, in uh, halakhic Matt, you know, Matt, all matters halakha and, and probably, you know, in the, in the more intense circles, um, the ability to, you know, master pages and pages of Talmud in the original language. Right. right. Um, and to be able to make rulings, you know, pertaining to disputes and things of, of a legal nature. Um, but it seems like in the messianic quote, messianic world, you have quote, rabbis that um and i've seen it this way that if you're jewish you're if you're a jewish believer in yeshua you can become a rabbi but if you're not jewish you can't become a rabbi you have you you can become a shepherd or a pastor right and so that even that even furthers it more that it's just a title of of a authority of a jewish person right um that's all it does it doesn't explain what they do it, it says they're an authority. And, um, and I see that as being different than evangelist, teacher, you know, shepherd or, or pastor, you know, those kind of things. So that, that's just a thought that occurred to me. But it, it was along those lines that I thought, you know what? Okay, let's just take that for, oh, that, you know, because someone had emailed me, asked me about Genesis 49.10, you know, um, the you know the the scepter will not depart from Judah except etc until Adkia um, Voshiloh you know until Shiloh comes right. or to him who it belongs the Messiah if that's messianic and they're like oh you know so until Yeshua returns we're under Judah we're under rabbinic authority so the question there and there's people that are really convicted of they are convinced not right. convicted convinced of that my question to them is first of all which which rabbis like dead rabbis or living rabbis, first of all. Like dead rabbis would be what you're talking about. The Talmud, the Mishnah, you know, you pick. Uh, the Shulchan Aruch, the Zohar, right? right? Does that mean I have to accept reincarnation now? I'm like, I, do I have to accept their doctrines? Right. Right? And then Reject and the so if, it's a, if it's living rabbis, then it's like, okay, which ones? Like, <clears throat> which, which uh, you know, reconstructionist or reform or... Or conservative, or orthodox, or uh, ultra orthodox, you know, in Israel, which which Hasidic dynasty? If I if we're just going to go to ultra orthodox Hasidim, which which 
dynasty do I need to, you know, because they don't all agree with each other. Yeah, which one do I need to dress like? Because they all, you know, it, it it's a ridiculous question. And not only that, then it would be like, let's say I select, let's say I finally had that issue. However, that would be solved. Okay, it's going to be this group, these, these rabbis. And then I go to them and I submit what I'm teaching. Okay, so I get a, here's the gospel I'm sharing um, now, since I'm under your authority, um, give you know, tell me what I need to do. How do I go about this? What do I need to, they're not going to promote the gospel. Right. It's, it's absolutely a ridiculous presupposition. It's, it's a ridiculous claim that, that Yeshua gives new life to, to his people only to put them under the authority of a tradition that that has rejected him as a whole and has a whole message of we're fine without you but yet right. we see there's there's this these groups within the messianic world in the messianic jewish um realm where there's uh Jewish believers in Yeshua that are skating on this issue. And they, they like to think that somehow there's this rabbinic authority um, or that somehow there's uh, the halakha of the Mishnah is, is obligatory to Jewish believers. And then what they end up doing is adopting it through that is, is, is smuggled under then the rabbinic, the Talmudic worldview, which divides the people of the world into Israel and B'nai Noach. And and by Israel, it means that you you are halakhically Jewish, and if you're not, then you're bnei Noach. So that means anything that 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 uh, is taught to us from Yeshua or his disciples that we are um, bnei Avraham, that we are children of Abraham by faith, has to go. That would have to go. Because it's it's you, they're incompatible maps of the world. That's what people need to recognize: incompatible maps of the world. Okay, hang on just a sec. I want to I want to pause real quick because we got a we got a lot going on in the chat room right now. Of course, because I don't have it on. Uh, yeah, exactly. Charles says, "Is it possible that rabbi means something different coll colloquially?" Blah, 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 I can't talk today than it did in the first century. Like pastor is shepherd, but most people see pastor as the leader of the church. Yes, we've talked about this in, a in lot. some circles. Yeah, in 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 the in lightweight circles. The the point is in, is in that circles where in in circles where where none of the words of scripture really matter. Right. I mean, that's that's why there's a there's a synagogue here where I live with where it's a lesbian rabbi. Okay, She's a rabbi. So, that, yeah. Right. But 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 hang on just a sec. The, uh, we've talked about the fact that pa that rabbi, um, father, teacher, these were titles given. They became titles that were given that meant this person has all authority. In other words, if they say it, it's as true as scripture. So if you if you see your pastor like that in the Christian church. If if you see your pastor as everything he says is, I mean, true no matter what, then yes, you shouldn't call that person pastor, in my opinion. Correct. Um, but my point was the word pastor though has a meaning. It means it, it. The word pastor means in the English language, it's a it's it's from the shepherd. It's taken from the word for shepherd, which means it's a, a person who guards a flock. Right. Right. It's a, it's it describes an active. Now, someone could have that title and not be living up to it. That's certainly. But the word rabbi has no such description. 
it's a sub it's to say that is a word of submission to st- just saying you're an authority. Um, Chris says, uh, but doesn't Matthew 23:10 say not to be called instructors. This seems deceptive yet prohibited, uh, a descriptive yet prohibited. Once again, I think that this, uh, that this, Oh, you, oh, there's a variant in Matthew right. in the Greek. Yeah. Um, uh, not only is there a variant, but some, some people say it's yeah, anyway. yeah. So there's a variant reading in the Greek. It's one of them's right. And one of them's wrong because James says, don't, you know, there shouldn't be many don't, don't desire to be called a didaskalos, a, a teacher, because there's a greater judgment. He doesn't say that there are not teachers. Um, even a scribe, even a scribe is a title that is, is describes what somebody does. Right. Right. A scribe describes what somebody does. Okay, that's why even, and that's, Yeshua doesn't have anything against scribes per se, because he even says in, in Matthew's at Matthew 13, you know, what's the kingdom of heaven like? It's like a scribe, right? right. A scribe trained in the, in the things pertaining to the kingdom is like a, a householder who brings out of his, his treasure, new things and old. Okay. So it's a, that's a paraphrase, but the idea is that, a scribe that's trained to pertain to the kingdom of God is a good thing. Right. David says, call no man father. Could we be missing something? Is it sinful to address your earthly daddy as father? No, not, not at all. Not at all. And we Yeshua have a- in Matthew 15 says, he quotes Moses says, honor your father and mother. You got to look, you got to understand the Greek and to understand the phrase. He's saying, don't you all, you all call yourself that you all have one father. Because what people are doing, they would go, and they would be disciples under a certain person, and they said, "You are our father." We see this. We see this in the split between rabbinic Judaism and Christianity. What happened in the Catholic Church? Yeah, father, father, father yeah. of O'Neill. Yeah, Abba, Abba. I wouldn't Abba. call it. I wouldn't yeah. call my Catholic. Well, I don't. I'm not Catholic, but I wouldn't call a Catholic priest father, and I wouldn't call a uh, you know a, a Zadik, a Jewish Zadik rabbi. In other words, the point is the point is the same. If you see somebody in a place of authority that is God-given and they can't be challenged because they have God-given authority, and what happened? What happened because of the Catholic because of the Catholic view of the of the priest's father? You have horrible, horrible abuses in the Catholic Church towards uh, underage children. Oh, right. Why? Because those people have have elevated a man to a place of divine authority. And this is exactly what the what the uh, scriptures speak against. Yeah. Wow. So. Um, yeah. yeah. The point is, you uh, Yeshua is your, he's your organizing center. Yeshua is the is the the arche. He's the central focus of, and all believers are brothers and sisters. That's that's. That's what the point is of Matthew 23. When you enter the way that people were using rabbi and father was to create communities and heads of communities in a hierarchical fashion that was not compatible to the commandments of God and to the centrality of Yeshua. And Charles says, that's not how I view my pastor, just FYI. I don't see him as infallible, nor do I see any rabbi in that light. I agree completely. And as soon as we, and that's good. The point is, as soon as we start to see our 
leaders that way, we've crossed a line. And that's not here's the other thing. Why do why do any followers of Yeshua need to use the title rabbi? They get it from they don't get it from scripture. Right. They get it from they get it from Man. the mission of the Talmud, and they say, "Oh, I want to use a title." Right. I mean, what, why not? I mean, for that regard, why not grab like Sheik <laughs> or something? You know, like why not grab some kind of thing from some other religion? Like, uh, what's uh, Guru? You know, from <laughs> the Hindus. <laughs> the point is, it's it's that's the deal. It's it's not taken from scripture. If all we had was the apostolic writings, no one no one would call themselves a rabbi in in Yeshua's uh, among Yeshua's people. If that's all you if that's all we had, right? Right. If all we had was the apostolic writings uh, and the, the scripture, sixty six books, there would be no believer in Yeshua going around calling themselves rabbi. Well, this it's comes back. It, to, this comes it, back. It, go ahead. It's because of these it, these other traditions that people want they want to insist on that it's baggage they insist on bringing in and it's like you, what signal are you sending it adds noise to the system it adds noise rather than it brings noise rather than clarity of thought and if you're not concerned about clarity of thought then then purity is is Maybe a value you need to consider where it is on your priority list. So uh, Joseph says, how about elder? Well, elders using the scriptures. Yeah, elder. Yeah. So is the appointed elders. It says we appointed elders in every ecclesia, right? Yeah, but it's it's also pl- plural, right? Elders. I think that's one of the Plurality. things. Exactly. Yeah, I, th- I think that that's one of the things that, that helps. And I uh, think they were at least 20 years old. No, like the Mormons have elders that right. are like 19. I think that's one of the things that takes away the idea of placing a a person of authority into the place of God. And that's ultimately what's happening when you say rabbi or we call somebody rabbi uh, or father and think that they speak that they are the mouthpiece of God. Now, this is how cult activity happens too and I'm not saying everybody who does that is in a cult, but I mean if you look at, you know, the horrific things that have happened within cults, David Koresh, Jim Jones, all these guys, what happens? They place themselves in a, they place themselves in the the place of God, and then people begin to see them as in the place of God. It's a horrible thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, yeah, I think I mean Guru Rob, maybe that's what. It's too hard to say the double R Guru Rob, Guru Rob. Ah. Okay, so then then the question comes into play. I think one of the questions that comes into play is: Should teachers be using um, the, the the rabbinical writings to teach from? And this is a yes no. Well, this came up too because someone in Oklahoma asked about the Et Sefer Bible, and the the question you know, and then you get into the canon. And so it was good when we talked to brothers that are like, you know, we affirm the 66 book canon, you right. know, and that's like really refreshing. And that was like really good. And so because there's people who are dabbling with this other stuff and we don't need to get back into that again. But I was also asked this. I was asked this in Oklahoma about, you know, what I whether I thought the apostolic reigns were originally written in Aramaic. And I was like, no, they were not, you know, and, and so these ideas are still floating out there. And even though we've talked about them, you know, on our show, 
um, obviously we have 36 listeners, so right. we're not, we don't have a huge <clears throat> impact in the world out there, but so sometimes maybe Caleb, we just come and re, we revisit things again. Cause there's, uh, you know, it comes back around again. Well, yeah, obviously. But the thing that I want to, you know, I think that the yes, no part of teaching from rabbinic literature. And I think that there should be minimal reference, very minimal reference to rabbinic literature. In in a, you know, if in a in a preaching scenario. And the reason why is because should we reference the rabbis? Yeah, I think it, I think historically it's good to see what different views history have is important yeah. history is important and the views of people throughout history it gives us a, a pulse on okay well this community of people believed this interpretation and this community of people believed this interpretation just like looking at different you know i think that that uh looking at the church fathers or looking at someone like martin luther and what they what, what or josephus did. or philo or exactly. the dead sea scrolls Right, exactly. So, I mean, all these things can give us different opinions of, of what people believed and different mindsets that were going on. Yeah. But what we see predominantly in the Torah movement, and this is not across the board, and I don't want anyone to think that, uh, you know, blanket statements like this means that everyone believes this, but predominantly within the Torah movement, what you have is people putting a strong emphasis on the rabbinic literature as if this is what it means. In other words, and we see this a lot with like temple uh, research. You know, oh, we want to study the the temple. Let's go to the to the Mishnah or the Talmud, which I think is I think is not only dangerous in many ways because it places an emphasis on the Mishnah and the Talmud that it's right, right that it's that it's correct that it's got its facts straight. Well, and that's it. it the appropriate way would be go to historical sources, go to like Josephus first, right? You know, that's, that's, that's what you would do. And then you would, now that doesn't mean you take Josephus at face value, but that's where you start. And from what you can uh, benefit from archeological work. And then, after you've really got a good orientation, then you can start looking chronologically to other descriptions, what Roman descriptions of the temple, do we, have, you know, other, other historical sources. And then chronologically you get to the point where, okay, let's look at the Mishnah, but the rabbis of the Mishnah, they were, you know, well, Yehuda Hanasi, like he never saw the temple. The guy who edited is, is credited with the editing and the compilation of the Mishnah, never saw the temple. His teachers never saw the temple. Right. His teachers' teachers might have seen the temple. No, probably never even saw the temple. Only, he's probably fourth or fifth generation from people who actually saw the temple. That's like if I had no internet, and then the TV, or is, any... How many more generations of people talking about that? And they have never even been to the Holy Land, right. many of them, let alone. The, so what they know is Persian uh, Zoroastrianism, you know. It, 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 so we have a we have a fantastic comment in the I mean, we've, okay, got, I'm, we've, I'm we've, we've got to look at this. Jasper writes, Martin Luther was a very was very anti-Semitic. 
Why should we listen to Martin Luther and not the sages and rabbis of old? Makes no sense to me. Well, that's a great point. However, I'll give you the main reason. Martin Luther claimed... Wait, wait, you, you never said listen to... I, okay, sorry. I mean, yeah. For, uh, first of all, I never said that we should should we should not just take what Martin Luther said and and accept it as truth. I said we should right. read Martin Luther in a histor historical context. However, I accept a lot of what Martin Luther said for the reason that he claimed Christ. He claimed to be a believer, and what he wrote has influenced believers extremely. For good or for bad, his his writings have changed the world. Now, with that said, I agree. Against the Jews was a horrific thing that he wrote. There's, there's ideas on, on why his, his view of the Jews changed so drastically in his later years. Um, but the point is, is that the sages reject Christ out of hand. They say that anyone who believes in him is an apostate. They say that it's idolatry to, to worship the living God. So that would be the the number the first answer. If you're going to listen to something from Martin Luther and not the rabbis, that's why. Now I agree that that uh, Martin Luther's works in his later years were, were very anti-Semitic, and used by the uh, the SS to exterminate Jews. But the question is, um, I mean, I don't think that uh, I don't think. But, but there's a huge difference that you, in this, again, history matters. First of all, you got to look at the whole of his life. That's true. His, his One of his first books, I think it was Jesus was Jewish. And he was out, he had a, a, a years of outreach and evangelism among Jews. Second of all, and that's evident in his writings. Right. Second of all, it's just at the end of his life where things turned really sour and we don't know all the historical situation of it. Some of it, they think he might have been because of other description of his physical uh, state that he was uh, very sick and probably had some sort of Losing mental mind, thing going yeah. on. Yeah. But aside from that, it was the, the, the dispute boiled down at the end of his life was theological. It was not racial. Right. When you get to Nazi Germany, you have the rise of racial um, uh, division. This is Rac dividing on racial, and what it did, it took the uh, it took um, the little motifs of of theological disputation from Martin Luther and transposed them into a racial mode. That's, which was of course dead of course deadly and horrific and, um, and it's that's not to that's not to justify what Martin Luther said about the Jews and against the Jews not at all no it's horrific no i think but i i think the vast majority of believers in yeshua would also reject those things right and it, it should, and I mean, the and here's the thing the good the the good things that he wrote earlier in his life are going to be echoed among other reformers. Justification by faith. You right, know? right. Um, and the the other thing is is that look, Martin Luther. When we look at Martin Luther, Catholic light, right? I mean, his 95 thesis, and it's it's very interesting to study Martin Luther because he he was one of the the threads that started to get pulled on that that uh, brought about the the Reformation. 
God certainly used it to bring people out of Catholicism. However, Martin Luther essentially was Catholic. And not essentially, he was Catholic, right? And his 95 Thesis, it, I, I, it's interesting because this has turned into a, a talk about Martin Luther, even though that wasn't the point. But Martin Luther, when his 95 Thesis came out, there's nothing really that is like reformed about them. He's not talking about predestination. He's not talking about any of these things. What, what is his main, uh, what is the thing that the church really, really gets upset about, about his 95 thesis? He's against the selling of indulgences. So, I mean, and if you, if you continue to look at his work, it's not like just the next day he turned reformed and, and was against the Pope. No, it takes him a long time. I think it's not until the yeah. Diet of Worms that he actually comes up, uh, comes out against councils and the Pope. I could be wrong on that. It might have been before that. But there's a specific point where he has to decide. You have 24 hours to decide, are you against the Pope and the councils? So it's not like I'm espousing Martin Luther and everything. I mean, obviously you have other reformers who uh, seem to, to have, pack an even larger theological punch. But a lot of the, what the reformers did, they it wasn't them who, I mean, they wrote, obviously, and a lot of their work became known. But it's not until after they die that people take their stuff and then really reform it, right? right? The, the beginning of the Reformation is a cracking and a, of the walls and a breaking away from uh, the Roman stronghold, the Roman Catholic stronghold. Right. And, and some of them, they don't fall far from the tree, you know? Yeah. But they, but, but the break is what's so important is that the break happened. Um, somebody asks, do you or your father have any articles, books, or things on leadership structure of the and of Torah observant communities, and what it should look like? Yes, the answer is yes. I will build my ecclesia is one of them by my father Tim Hag, and foundation uh, foundational truths is another one. Both of them talk about structure of of authority and those kind of things. Um, what if rabbis accepted Luther, we would all be Torah observant today? Well, I don't think so. I think that, the, I mean, just as the, it was God's plan to have the, the uh, Jews' eyes and ears stopped up as a nation against the Messiah, it's been God's plan that the, that the uh, believers would uh, fall away from certain parts of Torah. And the way we know this is because in Zechariah, the nations come back to Torah like full Torah, right? I, I, I'm, I have one more minute in the chat room here. Someone asked, oh, I lost it. I think it was a person named Jasper, but I missed it. I lost it. Oh, there it is. Nope. He says, nope, the rabbi is just the teacher, not the mouthpiece of God, as you claim. Well, Jasper, you'd have to explain in the Talmud where it says, Eleve uh, Ela Duvray, El-Chai. These and these are the words of the living God. It's not talking about scripture. It's right. not talking about quoting from the Torah or the prophets or the writings. It's talking about their halakhic decisions when they disagree with each other. They are both, even if even in the disagreement, they are both taken to be the words of the living God. So it doesn't mean just rat. It doesn't just mean teacher. And not only that, but and, and here's the other thing: if you take it seriously, if you take the the Mishnah seriously and the Talmud seriously, and the Shulchan Aruch seriously, you must also take seriously the, the claim that this is uh, the the continuation of a revelation, an oral 
directly transmitted revelation that goes all the way back to Moses at Sinai. If you reject that claim, then you reject the foundational presupposition of the mission of the Talmud, the Shulchan Aruch, etc., etc. And then, and now we're back to just, well, we'll just use the word rabbi to mean whatever we want. So Jasper, you need to put that in your pipe and smoke it there, buddy. <laughs> uh, Jasper also says, but why do Christian writings hold more importance than Jewish writings? The Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What were the oracles of God? Not the rabbinic writings. The Tanakh. The Tanakh. So yeah. they were entrusted with the Tanakh. Once, once they leave the Tanakh, it's, it's man-made. And we know this because of Yeshua. How, you know, uh, Yeshua in Mark 7 says, how conveniently you set aside the commands of God for the traditions of men. If the, if the rabbinic writings and the rabbinic tradition was uh, so, so God-breathed, then Yeshua would have never said that. Yeshua would have said, oh, yes, all that you say is true and from God. Right. <laughs> he doesn't, yeah. though. He condemns them. He says, you, you whitewashed tombs, you vipers. And these were, who were these people? These were the leading teachers of the day. And, and, and I know you, you've, you're more freshly in Acts than I've been, Caleb, where they're preaching in the temple. They're t- teaching people yeah. about Yeshua. And the authorities are trying to get them to stop. Oh, the, the council, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful and horrific thing to see Stephen stand before the council, right? Because it's horrific because he ends up getting stoned for it. But, the, you know, seeing the way that he... Uh, that he He's accused with three accusations. And it's it's like martial arts. He pivots and strikes. He doesn't just defend. It's it's a okay, defense one and then just repeated repeated pummeling of this council to the end where he where he gives them the the judgment you have rejected, right? And th- in other words, they've accused him of these things and he turns it around and accuses them of it. And he does it with what they say he's speaking against the Torah, Moses and the Torah. You speak against Moses and the Torah. Then what does he do? He takes an exposition from Abraham all the way through to their present time in the Torah. It's yeah, it's... absolutely beautiful. Here, here's the thing. Back to what, one last thought on the title rabbi. In terms of, of, of religious tolerance, whatever you want to call it for for uh, a Jewish male who's immersed in the Talmud and they become an expert on some manner of halakha or generally matters uh, of halakha of, uh, for um, guiding Jewish communities and they, get, they, they obtain the title rabbi through ordination, fine. That's, that's, I don't have any problem with that whatsoever. I have... I don't, I have countless books written by rabbis. I have countless books that are, that are written um, by Jewish authorities in Jewish law and stuff like that. I have no problem reading them, learning from them, disagreeing with them, etc. But Yeshua says, don't be called rabbi. He's talking, he's not talking to anybody, but his, but his people. And this, this puts us in, this is the narrow path. He says, you're not going to be like them. You're going to listen to the scribes. You're going to listen to the Pharisees, but you're not their disciples. You're my disciples. And so 
you're going to you're going to have a a uh delicate you know the uh, type of relationship with with the people of Israel who are the who are the self-appointed leaders especially now that the temple's gone for 2000 years but you're not their disciples that's that's how i read it no doubt um i think it's i think this is the very first show that we've ever, ever had Rob say, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Yeah, sorry about that, Jasper. That that was I I I didn't I, I didn't mean that meanly. It, it probably came out maybe sounded mean. I just I meant it flippantly. And, oh and I, man, I think that that you know we haven't listened to any of our jingles in a really long time. I think I think this I think that forgive, calls, please forgive me, Jasper, for saying that. I think that. that calls for a jingle. Here we go. Why do you hate the Rob and Caleb show? Honestly, I think they're vain, <laughs> stupid, and incredibly self-centered. That's true. That was very rude of me. Ah, uh, okay. So two two more comments and then we'll then we'll get out of here. Um, do you guys reject a universal halakha or common law? I take the Torah as universal law. Um, and no, I, I do not agree in a universal common law. Um, and then Charles says, I've heard some say Yeshua was a Pharisee. Um, yeah, I, I, we've, we've answered this before. I think Yeshua probably leaned Pharisee. Um, I don't think he ascribed to any specific uh, denomination, if you will. However, I think the reason that the Pharisees were the ones who were constantly uh, coming to hear what he had to say is because he was probably raised in a Pharisaic, uh, predominantly Pharisaic town, um, probably... The synagogue that he went to was probably predominantly Pharisee, um, it, but it's all speculation, right? We can't say one way or the other. One yeah. thing that we, one thing Paul that we, we know, Paul, Paul we know, know, of course, or, or, or shall I say, Rabbi Shaul. <laughs> one of the things I think we can say uh, without a doubt, and I know that this is debated, but I am, I am ninety nine point nine 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 convinced that Yeshua was not in a scene. And I think that we have a lot that points to that within the apostolic scriptures. So, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. But there's people who argue that he was, you know. There are people who argue oh, that. Okay, so if you go to Qumran, if anybody goes to Israel and you go to Qumran, like these many of these parks where there's like a archaeological exhibit, they have a little little room you go into and you watch a little orientation movie first right so you go into the room there's all these like pews and you sit down and the lights go out and then the film comes up and you're and you hear some, like someone talking and they take you welcome to Qumran da, 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 right well it had this reenacted it had this reenacted first century stuff going on and they had John the Baptist in there Yochanan that, that he was part of the Qumran community yeah, and then I've he, heard that and a he made too. a vow to it, and then he broke the vow and left. And then they're like, when they they hear of his death that he was beheaded, and they're like, is this the same Yochanan? And there's one of the Qumran guys, no, this is not the same Yochanan. And it was like, I was just like, I said, this is awful, this is horrible, because there's going to be like, like you know, Christian tourists or whatever, or people that yeah. just oh, don't wow. really know much. They're going to go back and they're like, they they're going to take this as like this is the truth, you know. Ultimate, um, ultimately, 
I think that that the baptism of John the Baptist out in in the Jordan, I think, is different than a mikvah in terms of a ritualistic mikvah. I think that that it was much more of. I think that he was he was doing something that might have been somewhat known, but it wasn't probably what we think of. And what I think was happening was this was establishing a. I mean, the fact that he was doing a baptism of repentance. And that he points it to Yeshua, I think is extremely important. And I think that this essentially was seen as a power move against Pharisaism and the other quote unquote, I'm going to use the word quote unquote denominations of Judaism within that time. Because I think that basically what he was saying was everybody's got it wrong. This is the only guy who's got it right. And the Pharisees see this and say, oh, no, you did not do that. Like, you did not. You did not. You right? did not go there. And then what happens as soon as, as soon, yeah, exactly. As soon as, as John the Baptist does this, then all of a sudden Yeshua shows up in the temple and starts preaching. And almost instantaneously in the book of John, they want to kill him for it. Well, and they know. I mean, they've, the, the higher ups, the elite among them must know that he is the miracle child of Zechariah and Elizabeth. In other words, that he's a Cohen, that he's a firstborn Cohen, and he was born in old age. Right. Right. I mean, because that news spread, and so they're like, "What's going to happen?" You know, all eyes are on this this kid, this Yochanan, who was given a name. You know. This, and the story was, you know, well, yeah, Gabriel appeared to me, and that's who gave the name, and etc. So, all right, it's been a good show. Somebody asked uh, in the chat room where my keep is. It's been oh about a year now. Um, I think we, how many shows ago did we talk about that? I talked about it several shows ago. Email me. I'll. I'll I don't want to recount it again right now, but email me. Seehagatorresource.com. Actually, here, let's just do this. Let's put these up real quick. Um, this one's going to be our comment line, 253-465-3205, 253-465-3205. I know i got to change the message machine on there, and I plan on doing that sometime next week. So hopefully we'll have a new message machine up. Right now it still references Torah Resource Radio, even though Torah Resource Radio is not a thing anymore. So, But that's the number. You can also shoot me an email, chegg, uh, C-H-E-G-G, at TorahResource.com. C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com. Um, if you want to know I will uh, about where my keeper went, uh, then I send me an email. Um, and <laughs> that, that's, a, that's like a, uh, a book you could write. Where my, where my, where'd my keeper go? Yeah. Um, yeah, no doubt. Um, okay. And uh, Torah Resource, don't forget to go, go to TorahResource.com. And uh, yeah, we're actually, it's really exciting. We're rebuilding the site right now, and some of the things that we're implementing, I think it's going to be really good for people um, to be able to, we're kind of restructuring things so people can search stuff differently and all sorts of stuff. So anyway, um, it's going to be a while before we get it done, though, so you're going to have to wait. All right. Well, it's been a fun time, and uh, I, oh, wrong one, wrong one. Sorry, guys. We're starting over. We're starting over now. Um, we hope this conversation has done one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah matters.